in another country? You were born in another country? All right, all right. Can you tell me where that country is? Jamaica. If I'd have known you were coming, I would have asked you to bring me some jerk chicken. Oh, I know they have jerk chicken in America too. Yes, yes. <laughs> Anybody else born in another country? Born in another country? Anybody else traveled to another country? Put your hand up. You've traveled to another country. Yes, it's a big place. This world is a big place. And there are a lot of places in this big world that all of us could be tonight. But I'm convinced of all those places where we could be tonight that God has us exactly where we're supposed to be. That encourages me. Back home, I pastored Crossroads Baptist Church where they're getting ready to meet in about nine minutes for our midweek service. And I'm not in Bailey's Crossroads where I pastor. I'm right here in Dayton, Ohio, and I'm thrilled to be here. And I'm here because I believe that's where God wants me to be. So uh, we'll tweak our way through the sound and it'll all work out because this is where God wants us to be. If you believe that, say amen. Chasten traveled with me. I've known Chasten since he was a baby, since he was born. And he's been around our family for a long time. And uh, his parents were good friends of mine. And his dad is in heaven now, but we have known him for so long and he's been part of our family and he's traveled with me sometime and he made this trip with me because it's about a seven hour trip from home and I'm here tonight and tomorrow night and then over to Mansfield on Friday evening and Saturday morning and driving back home. So that's a little bit longer than I wanted to handle by myself. So I appreciate his willingness to do that. I'm sitting in this chair because I am still battling what's called long COVID in 2020 of March. In March of 2020, I contracted this virus at the very beginning of the pandemic, was in the hospital fighting for my life. And so most of the people that know me, Dallas will tell you, I was one of those, those fireball preachers. I mean, stomping on the steps and jumping off the platform and making people's pacemakers go off, all those kind of things. And COVID has limited me in some sorts. Uh, I've been in this on the stool now for going on three years. A little bit. And so I, I'm not worried about it. I, when I first began considering the prospect of sitting on the stool, it was because my wife suggested it. So I was coming back from COVID and I finally made my way back to the pulpit and I was preaching every week and I was leaning over the pulpit like this and it just made her nervous. She said, I can't look up because I'm worried you're going to pass out and you gasping some. So she said, you need to, you need to put a stool up there. And then you know what I said? I said, I'm a grown man. I don't need no stool of no pulpit. And uh, so I was in pulmonary rehab at the time, and I've since been back again. And as I went into rehab with my therapist, she said, my church is not open yet. Is yours. I said, yes. I invite you to tune into our service this coming Sunday. And she said, okay, I will. So I think that was on Friday. And I came back in the next week after reha- after the weekend and went back to rehab. And, and she said, I'll tune into your service. I said, praise the Lord. I'm so glad you tuned in. She said, I noticed while you were preaching that you were leaning over the pulpit like this. She said, you ought to put a stool up there. And I said, you ought to jump in a lake. No, I didn't say that. And so I listened to my wife. I listened to her and talked to my mom. We got a stool up there. And so I've been there ever since. And I told the Lord, I don't sit in there. I don't want to look weak or I don't want to uh, change my style and and who's going to listen to me? And the Lord said, they're not listening to you anyway. 
when we preach, you shouldn't be listening to me. You should be listening to the Lord, right? And I should be letting the Lord speak through me. So here I am. I appreciate your willingness. I appreciate you, Pastor. I've watched him mature. I believe God has raised him up for such a time as this. I believe God brought him from where he brought him to this place for this church. I believe he's placed him here. I believe God's doing a work through you. And I believe in him. One of the biggest causes of my life is investing in this next generation. Listen, you're watching what I'm watching. Listen now. You're looking at what's going on in the Middle East. You're looking at what's going on in Jerusalem. You look at what's going on in Gaza. You look at what's happening with the Palestinians. You're watching what's happening in our world. You're watching what's happening politically. You're watching what's happening morally. You're seeing the attack on our marriage, the blurring of the gender lines. We can't figure out the bathrooms to go in. We can't figure out what to teach our kids. We can't teach out when life begins. We can't teach out. We can't figure out the significance of the unborn child. We are in a mess. I wish I had a witness in the building tonight. We need God. We need God. And we don't have a chance in America if we don't do something with this next generation. And I want my children, I want my grandson, I want them to have a baton to take. And so I believe in men like Dallas and men like Kirk, who I've met in, the, in person here tonight and others. We, we've got a chance to do something for God. We need the next generation. So meetings like this are important. We need more than just a revival meeting, right? We need a revival. Amen. And anybody can have a meeting. I mean, somebody said, I, I got revived because I went to the meeting. That's no more sensible than saying I went to the hospital, pulled in the parking lot that said medical doctor that makes me a doctor. And you're not going to get revived because you come to a revival meeting. You're going to get revived because God doesn't work in your heart. Somebody help me preach. Now, we're going to have a good time. And don't you want to have a good time tonight? And I'm glad to be here. You, you, I'm just right at home. You be relaxed. If you get sleepy, close your eyes. Just open them back up. All right. And uh, anybody that's got nerve to eat a bunch of spaghetti before revival has the right to go to sleep a little bit. All right. And so that, that, that does not offend me. You cannot offend me. I'm here because I care about you. The cause of my life is loving God, loving people. Nothing else matters. I'm trying to wean out everything out of my life that doesn't fit into one of those categories. Loving God and loving people. So I'm here tonight because I love you. And I don't know many of you, but I know you're here. If you came out on this night, on Wednesday night, it's because you want to do something for God. Say amen if you'll do something for God. Well, we have that in common. Let's see if God will help us tonight. The book of Philippians chapter number 2. Would you go there with me? Philippians chapter 2. I could have said, open your Bibles too, and you could have picked. It would have been good, right? <laughs> but we're going to concentrate on the book of Philippians chapter number 2. And I want to give you a, a challenge tonight. Now, for me as a pastor, practical pe preaching is paramount. Okay? What do you mean practical preaching? Like, like preaching is not just giving you biblical history. It's part, that's part of it. I mean, I mean, as a preacher, I want my people to understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. I want them to know the Word of God as God gave it. Some preachers get up and preach their opinions. That's not Bible preaching. Some preachers get up and preach politics. That's not Bible preaching. Some people get up and preach preferences. That's not Bible preaching. But, but some people will just get up and preach information. In other words, David took a stone, put it in a slingshot, slung it, hit Goliath in the head. Goliath fell down. David got up on Goliath, took his own sword, cut off his head, and they celebrated the victory. Amen. How many know that what I just said is true? How many know that David put a stone in the slingshot? Come on, say amen. It's not a trick question. How many know the stone hit Goliath in the head? 
How many know Goliath fell down? How many know David cut his head off with his own sword? How many know when David cut his head off, the Philistines ran? How many know that's true? But practical preaching is not just telling you how Goliath fell for David, but how your giants can fall for you. And so the challenge of the pastor is to take the God of the Bible and tell you he didn't just show up for David in 1 Samuel 17. He'll show up for you in November 2023. Can I get an amen? So I want to be practical tonight. I want to take the word of God that was written, given by inspiration, revelation, that we take by interpretation, find out what did God mean when he said it, right? But then, not only what did God mean when he said it, but how does what he meant when he said it apply to me? So you can get up tomorrow morning and live what I preach. In 2023, regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of what happens next, ele- next election, regardless of what comes on Fox News or CNN tomorrow, you can get up and live what I preach tomorrow morning. Wouldn't that be a successful night tonight? So you pray that I give you interpretation and application that will immediately allow you to live it. By the way, not just tomorrow morning. How about tonight when you leave? Philippians chapter 2. Would you stand for the reading of God's word if you're physically able? Philippians chapter number 2. I won't, I won't keep you extremely long tonight. I know it's a work day tomorrow. I know it's a school night, so I respect that time. But let's see what God says in Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Look at verse number 13. For it is who? Talk to me. I tell my people, I ask you questions to make sure you're looking at the Bible. I ask you to make sure you're looking at the Bible so you don't take my word for it. Men are liars. Don't believe the preaching because a man said it. Believe the preaching because a man saying what God said. Y'all ladies back there, just, just throwing the men all under the bus. They ain't said amen and nothing I said. I said men are liars. Amen. I see you got a feminist movement in the building. <laughs> My wife would have been right back there saying, do all things without murmuring and disputing that she may be blameless. Verse 15, and harmless, the sons of who? Without, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the what? Word of life. Yes, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you add thy blessing to the reading of your word, for it is already blessed. As your vessel today, I pray that you'll cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your spirit. God, do a great work in the service like only you can. Lord, I don't know what's going on in the hearts of all these folks tonight, but I know you do. Now I pray you touch us. Thank you for this church and what they've done to allow me to be here. Now bless. And God, down the road, about seven hours from here, I plead that you'll watch over my wife and family while I'm gone. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Pastor, thank you for the hotel room and the hospitality. For none of it, I take for granted or feel entitled. I truly appreciate it. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. It is a letter to the church at Philippi that God allowed him to start. Now, when he writes this letter, he's writing this letter on the subject of joy. Everybody say joy. 
Now, joy is something that not a lot of people have. Happiness comes and goes because happiness is based on happenings. Would you say that with me? Happiness is based on happenings. Say it again. Happiness is based on happenings. That means you get up tomorrow morning, you go into work, they say, hey, you ain't working here no more. You ain't happy no more because what just happened is you lost your job. But joy is based on Jesus. Talk to me now. Joy is based on Jesus. Happiness is based on happenings. Joy is based on Jesus. So that means you get up tomorrow morning and you lose your job. You lose your happiness because what just happened is you lost your job. You get up in the morning and you lose your job. You don't lose your joy because you didn't lose your Jesus. Boy, y'all done woke up now. That spaghetti gone down. Amen. So Paul is writing on joy. Now, here's the here's the catch. He's not just writing on joy in Philippians to the Philippi church, but here's what's ironic. He's writing on joy from jail. Now, I'm just going to be honest. Keep it real. If I was in jail, I don't think I'd be writing about joy. I'd be writing about social justice. I'd be walking around about racial inequality. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be writing about uh, Congress passing a law to, for, for PlayStation and the prisons. I, I, I'd, be, I'd be writing on prison reform when it comes to cuisine. I'd be writing uh, Mr. Kathy and saying, can you get some, some, some eight-pack uh, eight uh, in Polynesian sauce up here in the house? Could you please? That's who I'd be writing to somebody. Get me some Chick-fil-A. Listen, I'd be, I wouldn't be writing on joy from jail, but somehow the man of God is writing on joy from jail. Listen, you got to be right with God or high off of drugs to be writing on joy from jail. But he is. By the way, he wasn't high. He's right with God. And so in Philippians, he's going to tell the church, listen, you can have joy in any of your circumstances because I got joy from jail, but I didn't get joy from my circumstances. I got joy from Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, joy comes from a single mind. Paul says, I'll tell you what my mind singly is focused on. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And even though I'm locked up and locked down, the gospel can never be locked up and locked down. And I may be in prison, but guess what? That gives me a chance to tell prisoners the gospel. So he has a single mind. In chapter number 2, he says, I have a selfless mind. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I'll tell you who the least joyous people are in the world. The most selfish people. And selfish people think, I got to think about me, 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 because that's the only way I'm going to have joy, 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 joy. And they're the most miserable people in all the world, because when you're thinking about yourself, you're never going to get enough. But when you think about other people, God takes care of you. So he says joy comes from a single mind. Joy comes from a selfless mind. Jesus had a selfless mind. He didn't come to earth thinking about himself. He came to earth thinking about you and me. How many could say amen tonight that Jesus was thinking about us? So joy comes from a single mind. It comes from a selfless mind. Philippians chapter 2, it comes from a submissive mind. Jesus humbled himself. That means willingly placed himself under the authority of God the Father. Now we understand something theologically, that Jesus, the Son of God, is just as much God as the Father is. He's just as much God as the Spirit is. Jesus is not less God than the Father. He's not less powerful than the Father. He's not less significant than the Father. He's got power like the Father. He knows all things like the Father. He's ever-present like the Father. He's immutable like the Father. He's eternal like the Father. He's pure like the Father. He's just like the Father. He's righteous like the Father. He's merciful like the Father. He always has been like the Father. He always will be like the Father. He's just as much God as the Father was, just as much God as the Spirit was, co-eternally, co-equal, co-existent with the Father and the Spirit. But when he came to earth, he willingly, God couldn't make Jesus come. God asked Jesus to come and Jesus came because he was, somebody help me now. If Jesus who was God could be submissive to the Father, what's wrong with us? Submission. 
makes way for joy. So, so, so Paul says it's the single mind, it's the selfless mind, it's the submissive mind. And the submissiveness to the Father is what caused Jesus to come to earth. And coming to earth was for one purpose, to die on the cross. And he did. Now, can you imagine knowing that you were headed to the cross and going there anyway? Now, if you knew you were going to the cross, wouldn't you make sure you didn't make the right turn to headed to the cross? Jesus was never running from the cross. He was running to the cross. They told him not to go to Jerusalem. They told him not to do it. Jesus, Peter tried to chop the ear off the soldiers. Well, chop, chop the head off the soldiers. He just had bad aim and hit the ear. Amen. Thank God for Baptist preachers who can't aim. All right. All right. It made him a, an assaulter and not a murderer. Okay. And so, so, so Peter had bad. Peter was trying to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Peter didn't understand something. Peter, you ain't going to stop him from going to the cross. That is why he came. Aren't you glad he went to the cross? And when he went to the cross, he did the work of salvation. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for, 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 for as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so the death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But God, speaking of the Father, hath made him, speaking of the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what they were just singing about. He is our living hope. He died. He was buried. He rose again. There wasn't a lamb white enough. There wasn't a man good enough. There wasn't a rose red enough. God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He didn't say I'm a way, I'm an option, I'm a multiple choice. He said I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes under the Father but by God's got a way that you can't go over, God's got a way that you can't go under, God's got a way that you can't go around. You must come in at the door. I'm here to tell you he's the doorway of deliverance, the pathway of peace, the highway of holiness, the roadway of righteousness, the gateway of glory, the master of the mighty the head of the heroes, the leader of legislators, the overseer of overcomers, the governor of governors, the prince of princes, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. You can't get to God unless you go to Jesus, and I'm glad he's the door. Can I get an amen? This is what Paul is telling us. Jesus did in Philippians chapter 2. He did the work for us to be saved. He was the only one that could. He was the only one that would. He's the only one that did. And if you're saved tonight, say amen. Now look at our text in Philippians chapter 2. Now that Jesus has done the work for your salvation, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12, lowest the prayer, work out your salvation. Y'all see it in verse 13? Verse 12? Work out your salvation. And by the way, he wouldn't just say work out your salvation. He said work out your own salvation. Come on, say it with me. Work out your own salvation. Put that own emphasize. Work out your own salvation. Say it again. Work out your Aren't you glad we didn't get a group salvation? I mean, a lot of people try to get in them groupy, groupy places. You ain't going to get into heaven with your groupies. You're going to get into heaven because you got your own. Can I get an amen? And you got it because Jesus did the work for it. You can't work your way to heaven. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any mention boast. Titus 3 and 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. All religions say do to be saved. Christianity doesn't say religion. Christianity doesn't say do. Christianity says done. He already did it. So he did the work for 
That's on me to work out. Here's the word in the Greek. Don't worry about writing it down because it's too complicated, but I'm going to give it to you. Work out your own something. Here it is in the Greek. It's the word kater gazomai. Can you try that? Kater gazomai. Try it. Kater gazomai. Try it again. Kater gazomai. Smart church. Smart church. Somebody said, bless you. They thought I sneezed. All right. Gazomai. All right. Everybody said kater gazomai. Kater gazomai. Now, don't worry about the Greek word. Let me tell you what it means. It means to bring out to the fullest. It means to achieve the most. It means to produce to full completion. Watch this. It means to get the most out of. John Phillips said it's it's like working out a math problem. Anybody ever get a math problem right, but the teacher didn't give you credit because you didn't show your work? You know what she's saying? You might have got lucky. You can get lucky one time, but if you want to get the answer right every time, you better know how to work it out. Can I get an amen? Let's work out a math problem. And then John Phillips said, you work out a, a field. A farmer works out a field with his plowing and his planting and his harvesting. But my favorite example of cater goes on mine is what John Phillips said in his commentary about working out a mine, M-I-N-E. Anybody know what's in a mine? What can you find in the mine? What else? Underneath the dirt. Gold. All right? You can find coal there, too. You, you, you were not wrong. Okay? Aren't you glad? Because you were really loud about it. I'm glad. Sorry, I'm, I'm glad. Ain't there nothing, nothing worse than being loud and wrong. But you, oh, you, who's on? Oh, okay, that explains it. That explains it. That explains it. It's all right. You were, you were not wrong, so you can just be, keep being loud. All right? All right? There's gold in the mine, at least in this mine. But here's what John Phillips said. The miner is going to take his bucket and his shovel. He's going to start digging. When he digs up in the mine, if he has dirt in it and gold, he dumps the dirt and pours the gold in the bucket, right? You don't want a bunch of dirt in the bucket. So you got dump dirt, pour gold. Dump dirt, pour gold. Dump dirt, pour gold. So he's going to keep digging in the mine until he gets to a place in the mine where he finds no gold. That means there's no gold beyond that spot, and he marks off the spot. He's going to do the same thing that way, the same thing that way, the same thing that way that he did this way. Now he's got a radius of where all the gold's located. Is everybody following me? Because you don't want to waste no time digging where there ain't no gold. Can I get an amen? If your purpose is to dig gold, don't waste time digging gold. You can't go up to people and go, ah. I'm sweating, I'm tired, I'm worn out. That means I'm rich. No, if you're not worn out because you dug in a place where there's gold, you're just worn out. So he's got to mark off where to dig. And then he's going to spend his time digging where there's gold. Now here's, here's the principle that Paul's trying to establish. He's not rich practically just because he owns the mine. He only can be rich practically and experience those riches when he takes the mine that he owns and actually digs up the gold. It's not enough to have a mine because you can't enjoy gold, enjoy gold in your mind unless you got enough grit to dig. Anybody follow me tonight? Here's what Paul's saying in Philippians chapter 2 to those Philippians as he's writing from jail. Y'all got it good. Y'all should be joyful. To, why? Because the day you got saved, Jesus purchased the mine and deeded it to you. That means you are filthy, 
rich. You got a lot of gold. Here's the problem, Philippians. A whole bunch of you got a lot of gold on paper, but you ain't enjoying no gold because the gold is in your mind. It's sitting in your mind until you grab your bucket and your shovel. You can't enjoy. Listen, you cannot go to the shopping mall, fill up all of your bags with all of these groceries or with all of these clothes, walk up to the counter and say, I want these clothes. And they go, okay, give me your money. Well, I don't have no money, but 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 on paper somewhere, I got a bunch of money. No, 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 no. Your money on paper don't do no good to that papers in your hand. Are you listening to me now? You can't beat the devil when he comes up to you and say, but I'm really a rich Christian. I really am rich on paper. You know what God's saying? It's not enough to be rich on paper. I'll tell you how Landmark Baptist Church is going to have a bunch of Christians from this revival actually being excited about serving God. Grab your bucket and grab your shovel and say, if God gave me the mind, then I'm going to work it out. So here's the challenge tonight. Not everybody in here can drive a fancy car. Not everybody in here can live in a half a million dollar home. Not everybody in here can sing real good. Not everybody in here can cook the greatest. Not everybody in here can be the most popular person in your neighborhood. Watch this now. But everybody can dig. So tonight I want to give you this challenge. It's time to work out. Come on, talk to me. It's time to work out. Say it again. It's time to work out. I want to talk to you about getting the most out of your salvation. Now, now be careful because it's somewhat indicting. Because if you're sitting here tonight, no, I'm not getting nothing out of my salvation. I mean, my bucket don't have nothing in it. I'm just discouraged because I see these people with all this gold in their bucket. I don't have any gold in my bucket and I just think it's not fair. Don't tell nobody you don't have no gold in your bucket because you don't have no gold in your bucket. You're telling everybody you're lazy. Because everybody gets a mind. If you don't have anything in your bucket, it's because you didn't take your shovel and work out your own salvation. So quickly, how are you going to get the most out? Number one, a humble approach. A humble approach. Look at Philippians chapter. Look at the text, please. Verse number 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There, there, there must be solemn fear. Listen, if you're digging, when I'm talking about digging, getting the most out of yourself, I'm talking about getting the most out of what God gave you when you say, getting the most out of being a Christian, not just being a pew warmer, not just being a mediocre Christian, but getting the most, it's going to take solemn fear. You got to be serious when you're digging up. You got to be serious about the Christian life. It's not a joke. It's not a game. It's not a hobby. Serving God is the real deal. Somebody say amen. So it takes solemn fear, but it also takes servant's faithfulness. He says, not just in my presence, but also in my absence. If you're going to get the most out of your Christianity, you got to do right even when people aren't looking. You can't just do it on Sundays when the pastor's looking. You can't just do it when your spouse is looking. You can't just do it when other Christians are looking. You can't just do it on social media so you can build an image. You got to do it all the time because guess what? God is always looking. So it takes a humble approach. Secondly, it takes heavenly assistance. Look at verse number 13. For it is God which worketh. Now in chapter 12, verse number 12, he says, work out, cater gazomai, that's on me to get the most out of my salvation. But in verse number 13, he says, God worketh, that's a different word. It's not cater gazomai, worketh in verse number 13 is energio. It's where we get the word energy. Here's what he's saying. If you are getting the most out of your salvation, then God is making sure you have the energy with which to do it. So there is never a threat of a Christian running out of spiritual energy as long as God is his energy source. I just, I just served God and I just ran out of gas. Well, you were, you, get, you were filling up at the wrong station. By the way, I like the gas prices up here. 
yeah, yeah. Would y'all just give me a tank to take back home? We we, we pull up today and say, what was it, two ninety nine? Yeah, I'm mean, about three ninety nine at home somewhere around there. Three something. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm gonna drive up here every weekend to fill up with gas, drive back home. It's like kind of like the guy that swam across the Atlantic Ocean and got halfway and got tired and went back. But anyway, uh, Philippians chapter number two. Listen, you gotta make sure that you're plugged into the right source. So, so how do I know if I'm getting heavenly assistance? How do I know if God's the one where I get my energy from? Well, here's what happens. When God's the source of my energy, I get sovereign energy. It comes from him. When God's the source of my energy, I get sure enablement. How does God's energy manifest in my life? Look at verse number 13. For God worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Here's how I know if God is my source of energy. When I not only desire to do right, but I demonstrate doing right. He says to will and to do. There's a whole lot of people come to church and don't want to come to church. A whole lot of people read the Bible and don't want to read the Bible. A whole lot of people pray that don't want to pray. A whole lot of people tithe and be like, huh, take it, God. Boom. Listen to me. When sovereign energy is working in you, guess what? You not only do right, you desire to do right. Listen to me. There's nothing fun about being a Christian and hating the Christian life. So, so Paul says, look, when you're working out your own salvation, it's solemn fear. Listen, it's a humble approach. It's heavenly assistance. God is working in you. He'll give you the desire and the demonstration. Number three, it's harmonious attitudes. Harmonious attitudes. Look at verse 14 in the text, please. Do all things. Everybody say all things. Not some, not most, not as much as you can pull off. Not, not more than half. Talk to me. All things. Without what? That's a tough one, isn't it? Raise your hand if you complained today. Hmm? Yeah, guess what? You sinned. Do, do we need to bring in uh, you know, a second opinion on this verse, or is it pretty clear? No, no, watch this now. I want you to picture that bucket and shovel, right? Here, here's, here, here's a guy with a a bucket and a shovel, and he's digging, right? And he's getting gold. Here, here's what Paul says. I tell you why some Christians aren't getting as much gold as they could. They're doing too much murmuring and dispute. Huh? You, listen, you ain't going to get the most out of Christian life if you're too busy complaining about what's going on. You, listen, listen, you ain't going to get the most out of your Christian life if you're too busy conflicting with other Christians. You know, I've known some Christians that dropped their bucket and their shovel because they were arguing about Petty differences. I don't know why I'm not getting anything out of Christian life. Because you're fussing about a bunch of nonsense. I know preachers. They won't talk. I know Christian people. I ain't going back to church. Why? Because they looked at me funny. Well, you looked funny. Somebody said, I'm not going to church anymore. There's too many hypocrites in the church. I said, you went to the club last night. There were hypocrites there. It didn't stop you. Where are you going to go where there aren't hypocrites? Bless God, if they're hypocrites, the best place for them to get right is in the church. 
I don't know why I'm not getting anything out of my Christian life. Because you're too mad with brother so-and-so. You're too busy arguing with so-and-so. I don't know why I'm not growing in my church. Because you're mad because the color of the carpet and the paint ain't right. And the music is too loud. And the, the thermostat is too low. And the, the old people can't hear. I mean, good gracious a lot. Listen, at some point in time, quit trying to fix what you can't fix and grab your bucket and shovel and dig. Now, Paul's trying to help us. He's saying, you want the most out of your salvation? You got to work in harmony. Humble approach, heavenly assistance, harmonious attitude. Number four, we're almost done. Holy actions. Look at verse number 15. That you may be blameless, harmless, without rebuke. Strong words. Strong Greek words. Blameless. Amemptos. That means without reproach. That means you got to have a good testimony. He says harmless, akieros, that means godless, sincere, that means not fake. He says with, without rebuke, amametos, that means without blemish. You can't get the most out of your salvation if you've got a bunch of sinful scars on your reputation that you keep perpetuating. Watch this now, here's what Paul's saying. You're not going to be a good gold digger spiritually if you're trying to be a part-time sinner at the same time. So I said, here's how you get the most out of your salvation. You've got to have a visualized testimony. People ought to see that you're separated, that you're sincere, and that you're, you've got to live right. You've you got to live right if you want to get the most out of your salvation. I mean, Christians can't talk like everybody else talks. And Christians can't go everywhere everybody else goes. And Christians can't do everything everybody else does. And Christians can't say everything everybody, we can't think like everybody. Listen, we've got a different boss. We've got a different home. We've got a different spirit. We've got a different life. Listen, we've got to have a visualized testimony, and then we've got to have verbalized truth. He says, while you're living right on the inside, you got to be talking right on the outside, holding forth the word of life. And listen to me, please, carefully, young people, don't, and older people alike, don't waste your time talking right if you're not going to walk right. Because your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks a lot louder than your talk talks. And everybody wants a megaphone with their mouth. But they don't want to preach with their life. Lastly, it's a happy effect. He says it's a humble approach, it's heavenly assistance, it's harmonious attitudes, it's holy actions, but it's a happy effect. What does digging up, what does working out, what does getting the most out of my own salvation produce? A happy effect. Look at verse number 16. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ. What's the day of Christ? When Jesus comes. When I see Jesus face to face. Paul says, I want to rejoice in the day of Christ. Look at what he says. That I have not run in vain, neither neither labored in vain. Here's what he says. Look, Philippians, when you all pick up your bucket and you pick up your shovel and you get the most out of your Christian life, he says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be happy because I didn't waste my time preaching to you. He says, I am a rewarded mentor. Can I ask you a question? Anybody ever taught you the Bible? Anybody ever preached you? Anybody ever invested in you? Anybody ever showed you how to do right? When you do right, you make the people that taught you to do right happy that they didn't waste their time teaching you. 
rewarded him. He says, I'm a ready martyr. I'm ready to lay down my life on the sacrifice of you. Verse number 17, if I be offered on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I join. He said, even if I don't get out this prison and I die, it's worth dying if others will live for God. He's a rewarded mentor. He's a ready martyr. And I close with what I call rejoicing mutuality. Please don't miss the language in the text. Verse number 17, I joyed. I joyed. Verse 18. For the same cause also do what? Ye joy. And what? Rejoice with me. Wow. You remember when you first got saved? How do you remember when you first got saved? I do. Uh, I was four when I first got saved. And, and some of you were older when you first got saved, but, but really, infancy and salvation pretty much starts the same for all of us. It's it's a bunch of instructions from people who've been saved longer about stuff we don't quite understand. Like, you get saved on Sunday morning, and then somebody says, hey, I'm glad you were here, but uh, we're coming back on Sunday night. you like, huh, again? And then you finish Sunday night, and they're like, uh, oh, by the way, uh, we had service on Wednesday. What? Y'all people crazy. And they say, read your Bible. Okay, I, I'll read it on Sundays. and No, no, read it every day, every day. The whole thing, like even like Leviticus and Numbers? Yeah. And you start doing this Christian stuff, you know why? Because somebody tells you to. And every time you do right when you're a new Christian, people that are teaching you, they're like, oh, it's so good to see you. And then you walk into church on a Wednesday night, half dead, like, why am I going? You walk to church on Wednesday and then you get to the door and they're like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Because, you're, because they're getting joy out of your Christian life. You're just doing what they say. But after a while, you start digging up that gold. And then you like you, you kind of slip up on a Wednesday night, get a little excited about it. <laughs> you come into church the first time you get saved and they singing them songs, you're like, what are all these songs they singing? I don't know none of these songs. They ain't the songs I'm used to listening to. And then you see people up there singing with their hands up in there. Eyes closed. And then you start looking, are they sleepy? Uh, uh, are they in a trance? What, what, what is she up there crying about in the song? Is she cutting onions? What, what's going on? Why are they so emotional about my living hope up from the grave? He and they just waving their hands. What's wrong with them people? A couple months later, they get to that part, part in the song. And you're not even trying all of a sudden. You're like, stop it. Ain't nobody told you to go up there. You let it down, live the next thing you know. Both of them up there like, <laughs> you go home and say, what is wrong with me? I'll tell you what's wrong with you. You done start putting some gold in your bucket. And now all of a sudden, people that used to rejoice, in the fact you were doing right, now you're rejoicing yourself. Church, salvation is person. And I want, I want to talk to everybody tonight because, look, I'm here tonight, I'm here tomorrow, and then I'm out of here.
People say, what do you do if you preach it? People get mad with you. I say, I don't worry about it. I'm leaving. Throw tomatoes at him, all right? <laughs> He'll be here. <laughs> take out your anger on him. I mean, anybody light-skinned and curly hair, take it out on him. Amen. He can handle it. I married somebody light-skinned like that. They can handle it. She's a girl, though, all right? <laughs> Just for, just for clarity, you got to clarify now these days, all right? People are like, he married who? Who did, who did the preacher bring in to preach to us, all right? She's a girl, amen, glory to God. Church, I'm out of here after tomorrow. But we have a moment tonight. Hear me? Here's the resolution. Here's the call to resolution for every single saved person. I'm going to get my bucket. I'm getting much. It's, a couple years ago, somebody sat in my office. Well, I say a couple years before the pandemic, about four or five years ago, somebody sat in my office and said, Pastor, um, I want to tell you that um, my wife and I, we're going to go to another church because we're not growing. I said, well, we're preaching through books of the Bible on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You're not growing? Yes, we're going to go to another church to grow. So I are you taking you with you? Yeah. I said, well, if you didn't grow here, you ain't going to grow there because the problem is not the church. The problem is you and your bucket. If you get the word every time you go to Fogo to Chow and the buffet's up there and it's all hot and it's all warmed up and they tell you it's paid for, eat and you leave an hour later and say, I'm hungry, I ain't eating nothing at Fogo to Chow. You can't blame Fogo. You got to blame yourself. Get up off your blessed assurance and put something on your plate. Don't come, don't, don't, don't come here tonight and say you're not growing. The smorgasbord is prepared. Here's the call to resolution. My own salvation. My bucket. My, and listen, when you leave church tonight, don't leave your bucket at your seat so nobody takes it on tomorrow. Take your bucket home with you. Because you don't just, see some people, don't, they don't ever dig. They wait for the pastor to give them gold at service. And they wonder why the devil keeps beating them up in between services because they don't got enough gold. You don't have enough gold because you ain't doing enough digging. That's the call of resolution. Work out your own. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to work out. Head about that's closed. I'm going to give a challenge tonight. I won't talk to everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm a little unconventional. I'm just kind of just straight up. I just, I just, I just talk to everybody. I want to ask you a couple questions. We're headed by the eyes closed. Here's a couple questions. Question number one. Do you have salvation? Have you accepted the work Jesus did for your salvation? And have you accepted him as Savior? I mean, say, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven and I know it. Would you slip your hand up? Saved, going to heaven, and I know it. I have Bible reasons to prove it. Saved, going to heaven, and I know it. Hands up. Okay. Thank you. Put your hand. I wonder if there's anybody in the building say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died tonight I'd go to heaven, but I'm sure I do not want to go to hell. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I'm sure I don't want to go to hell. Would you pray for me? I'll not embarrass you or call your name out. I simply want to pray for you. Anybody like that tonight? Would you let me pray for you? I'm not sure if I died tonight I'd go to heaven, but I'm positive I don't want to go to hell. Anybody? There's nobody looking but me and the pastor. Last question. 
How many say, Pastor, I raised my hand. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But through the word of God tonight and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I need to do some more digging. Come on now, this is to all of us. I need to do some more digging. It's nobody's responsibility but mine. If that's you, would you put your hand up? Come on, all over the building. I need to do some more digging. Yeah. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. You can pray in your seat, but I'm going to ask us on this revival renewal time to make some physical moves to match the spiritual moves we're making as a church to leave our seats if you're physically able and feel that the Lord would have you and come to this altar on this Wednesday night and say, this is my commitment to grab my bucket and shovel and dig and not blame the substandard nature of my Christianity on anyone else but me, especially since God gives me the energy to dig. So I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, I'm going to invite you to the altar. Now, we'll, we'll have a song in just a minute, but, but well, why don't we just, without the song, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we'll have the song afterwards. I'm going to invite you to come. As soon as I finish praying, if God spoke to your heart, would you come together as a church tonight? Lord, would you bless this invitation and move in our midst? Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Help us, Lord to work out our own salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Standing together, all in our room. If God spoke to your heart, would you come? Would you? Some are already coming. God bless you. And God bless you. And God bless you. Yes. Come on, if you're not digging like you should, you can either come or find your place and kneel and talk to God. That's everybody. Everybody that God spoke to, let's mind the Lord. God bless you. God bless you. You like to pray in your seat, or you like to come? Come on, God bless you. Yes, if you have, if you don't want to kneel, stand and pray. But we we got to get busy, folks. We got to get busy. Yes, bless you. That that's when revival comes. That's when God's going to shake up some things in Landmark. When we get to digging. I mean, when we get to digging. I grew up in a pastor's home. And my daddy was a great man of God. But there came a point in time in my life when I realized I can't lean on him for my salvation. I got to read my Bible myself. I worry sometimes that members in the church think that they can ride their Christianity on their churches. Here, I'm a member of this church. That's not enough. You can't pay for your bills out of somebody else's account and you can't live your Christianity off of somebody else's Christianity. Get your own goal. Read your Bible. Pray. Honor the Lord. Commit to Him tonight. I mean, let's get revival. I heard a pastor say years ago, revival comes when the people of God make fresh steps of obedience. All I'm asking you to do tonight and tomorrow is to obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. That's when revival comes. 
Oh, God, stir us. What's the holdup in my Christian life? Me. Same old mess over and over again. Same repetition of faulty Christianity. When God deeded you the mind, put gold in the mind. What you want to dig to? I mean, good gracious. What is, what, what is our responsibility? Can I get an amen? Can't we do better? I want to. Devil comes along and tries to tempt you. Uh, hold on, Satan. I'll be right back. Let me go get my pastor. I don't know if I got time for that. You got to have some, and you can't rush and try to find gold at the last minute. It's got to be there when the challenge comes. So dig every day. Hey, Father, for every believer, front to back, right to left, that you've spoken to. May we, in a renewed way, be committed to work out our own salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.